It's interesting how honestly the Hebrew scriptures tell the stories of our ancestors. We get two versions of one today in Psalm 78. The psalm rejoices how God split the hard rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as from the great deep. But Exodus records a little different flavor Speaking of the bitter conflict that was behind that wonderful miracle, a conflict that named, led Moses to name those springs of water Massa and Meribah, test and quarrel. Now, an important task of our spiritual journey is for each of us to heal the inheritance of our past. We have to understand the ambiguity of the blessings and the curses that have come to us from our ancestors in order to understand our inheritance. And then, understanding more deeply, we have to define ourselves, ourselves as separate beings, authentic and whole, yet connected to our past. Paul describes the task, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so I think today's gospel story illustrates some clues about how to do that. In the first part of the story, Jesus challenges the chief priests and the elders. They were not able to be authentic at self-defining in their dealing with John the Baptist, who has recently been executed by Herod. So Jesus challenges them. What do you think about John the Baptist? Instead of telling Jesus what they really think, they get anxious. They equivocate. Their response is reactive, not authentic. So Jesus doesn't even waste his breath on them. They simply are not mature enough to handle his truth. Instead, Jesus tells a story of two sons. A father says to each son, go and work in the vineyard today. Now, 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 I'm going to read something into this story that's not there. I'm going to assume that this is a difficult father. I'm guessing that this father is someone who is dominating, controlling, maybe even abusive, at least from the perspective of his two sons. I think their reaction has something to do with their emotions about him and their response. Both sons respond reactively, in a reactive way. One appears compliant, I go, sir, but then rebels in an unhealthy and passive-aggressive way. He doesn't do what he said he was going to do. The other son reacts rebelliously, but then reconsiders and then does the responsible thing. He chooses to do what is right despite his feelings for his father. Good lesson. Back in 2008, when I wrote this sermon... I'm counting on some real short memories here. 
I had just seen a documentary film about a father and a son. The film is about Haskell Wexler, two-time Academy Award-winning cinematographer, 81 years old at the time of the documentary. And the documentary is filmed by his son, Mark, who has had some modest success as a photojournalist for the Smithsonian and for the federal government. Now, the father Haskell is a lifelong outspoken liberal. The son, Mark, is a conservative, proud of his photo with George H.W. Bush as a souvenir of his photo story about Air Force One. Now, it's a little hard to get a handle on why Mark is making a film about his father. Is it an attempt toward reconciliation? Or... Is he documenting for the world to see what an SOB his father really is? This dad, Haskell, is bossy, intimidating, controlling, continually telling his son Mark how to place the camera, what scenes to choose, when to cut, and these are orders. And most of the time, Mark silently resists staying behind the camera exercising artistic control over the film that he is making about his father. Over and over, the son stands there, non-reactive, camera rolling, while the father goes off. Well, maybe I would have been a better father if I knew what I know now <laughs> when you were growing up. <laughs> so you wouldn't turn out to be such a mess. <laughs> That's the best I could do. A cackle, a scornful laugh, his mode of communication, and it's all being recorded. Mark is researching. Mark is exploring what makes his father the person he is. Mark goes back into their history. Mark's grandfather, Haskell's dad, was a successful electronics manufacturer. Haskell grew up in wealth and privilege during the Depression. When Haskell wanted to become a filmmaker, his father, Mark's grandfather, invested a million dollars in a startup. That failed. And he told his friends that his son Haskell's real work was turning money into excrement. So, Haskell managed to organize the workers at his father's plant into a union and led them on a strike. <laughs> now, Mark, the son, grandson, is researching this past. He visits his father's friends and colleagues who have worked with Haskell. They bring new perspectives, more views and angles. Many of them do remark on Haskell's difficult personality, but they communicate respect and sometimes even affection. It seems to help when Mark interviews Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas, children of other famous powerful fathers. Still, the battle of wills continues. Haskell says he wants to tell Mark something important and calls him to his room. Mark suggests... Well, Let's film outside where the afternoon light overlooking San Francisco is perfect. No, 
His father says, we'll stay right here. Dad, Dad, just come outside for just a minute. It is a beautiful backdrop, and this fight goes on. The fight for control. It is excruciating. It seems to last forever, and both lose. Mark doesn't get his shot. Haskell doesn't get to tell his important message. Later in the film, there's a poignant moment, and the crust breaks for just a bit. They visit Mark's mother. She is Haskell's second of four wives. They divorced after 33 years of marriage, punctuated by Haskell's many affairs. She's now living in the Alzheimer's unit of a nursing home. So Mark backs away, the camera still in range, as Haskell speaks to this silent woman. We have secrets, he whispers to her, things no one else knows. Yes, she says, her only words during the encounter. A learning moment seems to happen when Mark is trying to get a good shot of his father swimming in the pool. His father instructs him how to form the shot. And trying to meet him halfway, Mark mostly follows his father's instructions. And it works. The sequence beautifully frames Haskell emerging from the water with a joyful smile. Not unliking the life, not unlike the life-giving water emerging from Massa and Meribah, from test and quarrel. This movie becomes a frank and courageous exploration of the most significant relationship in Mark Wexler's life. It is a tribute to his father, but it is also brutally honest. And then there's more. An additional trailer, not part of the frame, not part of the film. This trailer records Haskell watching the nearly finished first cut of the documentary about himself. And we see Haskell laughing at his own arrogant hubris. We see him touched by the scene with his wife. And when the video is over, Haskell is moved. He, he can't speak for a while. And then he says in colorful language I can't use here, it's a great film. You're a fine filmmaker. Mark dissolves into weeping, and their tears unite them in bonds as deep as blood. Now, it doesn't always end so neatly when we face the pain of the past, but usually it does bring deep rewards and insight and healing. William Faulkner famously wrote, The past is never dead. It's not even past. Part of our spiritual journey into wholeness and maturity is to make peace with our past. Part of that work is digging into our history and knowing our story and our ancestors' stories.
We need to recognize how profoundly our lives have been shaped by our parents and ancestors. The Massa and Meribah, the testing and quarreling that are inevitably part of our inheritance. And we can stand alertly, courageously behind the camera, learning what we can learn. And then from a place of knowing, we can authentically choose who we will become. We can claim our true authority. We can define ourselves consciously and refuse to live merely unconsciously in reaction to the past. We can shed those insecurities and hurts of childhood and become authentic, whole adults. None of us have had perfect fathers and mothers. Maybe that's one of the reasons why there's so much parental language in religious imagery. We all need more perfect love than we can possibly receive from the finite human beings who make up our families. So in faith, we speak of God, our Father, who comes to us with unconditional love and vitality. We speak of God, the Son, who comes to be with us, to encourage and to heal. We speak of Mother Church, Mother Earth, Mother Mary, as the embracing love that nurtures us, nurtures us into the fullness of our authentic being. Our spiritual journey involves the liberation from the bondage of our past in order that we might be mature, freely responsible, and whole in the present. Each of us is a child of God, unique, beloved. Each of us has been given a singular story and unique gifts that we may do our part to help Christ create a new future, redeeming in our time, redeeming on earth the little square inch we are given to tend until all creation is healed and restored and we are whole and real and the Garden of Eden blooms anew. In the name of God, amen.